Hello, everyone. It's lovely to see you tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about hair racism on tonight's episode. So before we get started, um, and I introduce you to our fantastic panel, um, let's just throw to Dave and he can um, tell you how you can join in tonight with any questions that you have, because we really want it to be a participative. Hi, everyone. Yes, uh, it's great to be with you all tonight. Uh, there is a couple of ways that you can join in. The first is by posting a live chat. Uh, the second is the if you're on, you just include the hashtag MHTV in each of your tweets, uh, and then we'll be looking for that, and we'll be, be able to uh, bring those into the conversation tonight. But right back over to you, Nikki. Absolutely. So let's let's come to our guests. Um, first of all, Sheila, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Sheila Sobrani. I'm a lecturer at Middlesex, and I lecture in adult nursing, but across fields. Um, I am the chair of the Healthcare Academics Race Equality Diversity Inclusivity Networks um, and I support Sheridan which is a mirror group with students but I'm also a um, co-chair on Middlesex Anti-Racism Network and an RCN London board member. Thank goodness that is not all on one badge. <laughs> and Georgie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi I'm Georgie Cox, I am senior lecturer in adult health um, I specialise in clinical skills and diabetes. I also co-chair with Sheila on the Hairdin, Sheridan alumni, so healthcare mm -hmm. academics, diversity, inclusivity networks, and I co-chair with the Middlesex anti-racism networks as well. Fantastic. So let's get stuck right in then tonight. So what, when we're talking about hair racism, what is it? What is it and why is it important for nurses to understand about this issue? So what caught my eye about it was um, our students. One of our students actually came to me who has locks. As you can see, I have locks on my hair. It's not just about locks, but it's about natural hair. And he was really distressed because he'd gone to basement induction and he'd been told he had to cut his locks off if he was coming to basement. And he was basically asking me, was that true? At which point I said, well, no, it's not true. I can see you need a relock. When you go, as long as you've had it nicely styled and it's up off your collar, it shouldn't be a problem. But I'll come and see you next week, which is what I duly did. And there he was. He was proud as punch in his uniform with the biggest smile ever that he was keeping his locks and he was nursing. Um, but it just made me wonder how many other people are going through um, the same situations whereas there was a white guy in the set and one of the things that he said that he also had long hair but he was told you need to put your hair up and that's a very real difference between why is one being told put your hair up both got long hair he's got like bum length locks our hair grows very slowly so that's taken him years to get to that length mm. um, and also you have to be really comfortable in your own skin um, to be rocking the lock really um, and for many, many years, you've been brought up in Afro-Caribbean society to believe that locks are unsightly, they're unkempt, um, people have an impression that they're dirty, they're unwashed, um, and that natural hair on black people is just, it's not accepted. It's got to be Eurocentric, so straight, um, brown, blonde, I don't know, um, never going to really happen with me um, again. 
um, chemical processing. And that's just one of the things that I thought it was time that people needed to wake up. We talk about multiculturalism and um, being culturally competent. But if we're doing that for our patients, why aren't we doing that for our student nurses? Because you could lose valuable members of your, yeah. of your workforce um, and that young lad is now qualified. He wrote the papers with us that we've done. Um, and he's now band six, band seven, he's a charge nurse. And his locks yeah. are even longer. And they've made a Shield. blind bit of difference to his work. Yeah. So, Ever. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, it's um, what's in my head. Mm. We were kind of tweeting about it. Uh, I was mm. tweeting and then um, Professor Philip Derbyshire actually got in touch with me and said, you know, this is really interesting what you're writing. Why don't we um, write something together? And I said, well, Georgie is actually really good because she she gets that perspective from lived experience. And I get it from the um, the experience of anti-racism, that point of lens. And he also put us in touch with Emerald Jenkins, who is a student in John Hopkins University. And so we wrote together along with um, our student, which was who's now a qualified nurse. Um, and it was uh, a wonderful collaborative piece of work in sort of highlighting actually the experiences and um, why they actually really happen in practice and sort of relating that to um, currently our own personal experiences of racism, having gone through that sort of journey in the NHS as well um, mm. as um, lecturers, but who happen to be black or Asian and also the students identifying with that um, in, in some of our networks um, with that lived experience as well. And so we wanted to do something or actually Georgie and I wanted to write something that was going to help them mm. and to open up the conversation around this. Mm. What do you think is the particular issue in the NHS? Well, we think, don't we, Georgie, that it happened ages ago that people would make a uh, comments about people's hair and how it looks and um, particularly black hair but it's mm. actually a real problem even now um, because um, mm. students have highlighted again um, it, experiences of racism so one of our students has actually highlighted an experience in practice where somebody tried to um, didn't like the look of her hair and actually started making comments that she needed to adjust it again um, even though there wasn't actually an issue with her clinical practice and the way that she was conducting herself. And that mm. person kept on at her mm. and kept on at her, but she was, she felt empowered enough to actually speak up for herself and say, actually, there's nothing wrong with my hair. What's your problem? Mm. So that person actually took it to the manager, her line manager, um, going above the student and in a sort of way to sort of coercively control that student. Mm. And the, you know, fortunately, the line manager said, there's nothing wrong with her hair. What are you talking about? You know, there's not, this is not an issue. Mm. So um, that's why I think, you know, actually we do need to talk about this. It's happening all the time. Mm. Uh, we take it for granted that certain mm. types of hair, you know, um, and, you know, are not acceptable in practice. But if we, if we sort of differentiate very often, um, they wouldn't say anyone having to, to any, anything to anyone who's got hair like Uniki <laughs> at the moment. You know um, what? But I they would definitely target somebody like Georgie, who's got yes. lovely locks. But that's true. You know, if they're tied up off the collar, Georgie, maybe you want to elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, 
think when we're talking about the students in particular, where they talk about these experiences and they talk about, you know, if the hair is natural and it's out, um, like in a little Afro puff, but just on the back of the head, um, there was complaints about that from the same student, but she felt empowered. But I also think people use things like um, health and safety. Um, well, if my hair's all the way up, it's off my collar, it makes no difference whether it's locks or not. Um, I think if people look at the colour of the hair, um, I sat in meetings as a ward manager, and this was more than 20 years ago, and to hear that it's still happening, it's a bit disturbing, yeah. um, where they try to pass a rule about, well, could they not take the hair out with all those plaits before the shift? And when I pointed out, well, actually, do you know how much and how, how much it costs and how long it takes to put that in, and it's even longer to take it out? That's a weekend mm. job, so you've lost your staff person for nearly two days. Um, it even went round to colours. You know, maybe they can't have bright coloured hair, at which point um, a fiery uh, orange-haired <laughs> sister actually said, so that counts me out as well. Um, and they were like, oh, well, no, yours is natural. And then she said, but so is all the other hair that you're talking about. And that was quickly booked to sleep. But then to hear it come up again, and again, they're using that old adage of, oh, it's the um, it's health and safety. There's nothing wrong with the health and safety. It's not falling in the food. They need to worry about people with the false eyelashes that are dropping off in the wounds. Not my locks. Those are not going to drop off my head. These are firmly attached. Mm. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's how going they I'm saying there's a few things going on, isn't it? So you've kind of got this historical issue that we've had in nursing where, you know, back even to like up to 60s, 70s, people were so controlled around uniforms and things like that. And it wasn't particularly to do with health and safety. It was to do with controlling women, really. I mean, my aunties, I'm from a big old family of nursing, and they all had to sign in and out, even in the 80s, and weren't allowed out late at night and all this sort of stuff around what colour tights they were wearing. And, and I can understand that there is that kind of legacy, but there is something else going on as well, which I think you're absolutely right, which is not to do with, you know, people thinking they can control, control everything, but actually to do with, absolutely to do with race and culture and who people think they can control. Because I can mm. promise you exactly as Sheila said, I have probably one or two people a week stop me in the street or talk to me about my hair, which can go either way, frankly. <laughs> the worst ones are when they look at you and go, you're so brave. And you're like, what are you saying? But nobody has ever said I can't have it, or that somehow I can't be professional and have and have it. And that's really interesting because I had a student even last September who was told that she needed to wear a wig to work. I was like, "You're not RuPaul. What are you talking about?" And I, I, I was absolutely yeah, like because her natural hair wasn't acceptable in some way to this person. And there's something very weird about writing a policy where you think. But the hair that comes out of someone's head is not acceptable. I find that the fun is when you check the policies, Nikki, policy doesn't actually say anything about natural hair. All it says is that your hair should be up, should be off of the collar and not falling into a wound. And if it's not doing that, then what's the problem with it? Mm -hmm. um, where natural hair, um, I think I read somewhere the other day, um, afros. The size of the afro and this is even happening at school so um Sheila and I went to the CNO BME um mm -hmm. uh, annual conference the year two ago now Sheila 
And we ran into um, quite a few colleagues from up north and they were saying that this was happening to their children even, not mm-hmm. just within nursing. It, it's yeah. quite wide. So if you if you look like in the United States, they've got um, the Crown Act, which is all about loving your own natural hair the way that it is. And it's protected, uh, one of the nine protected characteristics. So if you are black and you have got natural hair, like you say, it ain't going anywhere. But shouldn't we be more interested about what is going on in that nurse's head rather than what's on that nurse's head? Because quite frankly, when I'm dying, I mm. want to know that she'll my chest, she'll do the chest compressions, she'll give me mouth to mouth, she'll save me, rather than worrying like, oh, are those locks on her head? Or that's a rather big afro. I don't think that's a thought that will be going through my mind. It'll be more like, save me. The ability of policing the size of someone's afro, one of the most bizarre... I mean, like, it's not like people aren't busy. What a bizarre thing to do. It's and a, I think it's what, go on. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's, it, it's actually a form of identity erosion. Mm. So, for example, I've known Georgie for a number of years, and I've always mm. known Georgie to have a locks and be very proud of those mm. locks. And, I, you know, and actually, um, it is actually a form of erosion. Every time that somebody makes a comment or tries to touch her hair, it's a it's a form of you know it's actually what we consider a microaggression or macroaggression mm. because it's like a thousand cuts mm. so one after another after another and mm. um and those um microaggressions actually wear people down there yeah. that's part of the coercive process that people yeah. don't understand they underestimate that how much damage and um so here am i going to go on about a little bit of research that Arlene Geronimus has done about mm-hmm. biological weathering, but that's part of the biological weathering process. Is that very often people who experience those type of, you know, the type of microaggression told to, oh, there's something wrong with your hair. It's not, you know, you shouldn't have hair like that. Uh, I mean, you need to cut it off. Those type of comments actually wear people down. Yeah. Because they don't, they misunderstand how much important how really important it is to their identity mm. and not to need to change that. I think people misunderstand that, definitely. But it's all, well, isn't it? Go on, Georgie, go on. No, sorry, I was just going to say that after many, many years of being being told how your hair had to be pressed, primped, cane rolled, tugged and wrestled into submission, that then the only thing that you've got that you can therefore complain about is the hair. Um it's just beyond me. Uh, one of our students that we had actually said she got a fantastic review from one of the trusts that she was brilliant. This patient absolutely loved her, best care she'd ever have. The only thing she would say, she needs to do something with her hair. And when I asked, well, what was wrong with her hair? The student had hair like mine, is what another program leader said to me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. What are you going to do about it then? And she went, nothing. It's not my problem. It's the patient's. it's a it's a one hand it's it's a bizarre thing on another hand it makes a lot of sense that this is a problem for people because it and and it's a misuse of power on a very direct level to suggest that somebody's hair is not acceptable is a real problem and and i think when sheila was saying you know 
perhaps people don't realise. I think if you're working with someone who's, who's losing their hair to cancer or something like that, everybody understands how central that is for that person's identity and how that might be distressing for them and how that might be difficult. So I'm not wholly getting on board why, why people can't extend that empathy to everybody else in the universe as well, to understand that we create ourselves, don't we? We, we connect to our, to our cultures and our people and our passions through the way that we look. And 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 that and to, to to attack that on a very central central level and try and control it when it's got nothing to do with patient care under the guise of not even being honest about it but pretending that it's a policy issue seems just really bizarre when it's coupled with all the other problems that we are experiencing in the NHS and in society around structural racism. Do you know what I mean? Like right. on top of poor You're care. Right. Yeah, mm. um, structural racism also is. I mean, policies are used to micromanage people as well. So, you know, and not actually understanding how policies can influence that level of microaggression. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, incapability procedures and things like that, those type of policies cause a lot of damage because there's a lack of understanding about that individual when they use them. And sometimes, you know, you may have heard that fitness to practice proceedings, there was a research done in 2019 where the highest level of referrals to the NMC were among black minority yeah. and ethnic nurses and midwives. Yeah. And it's disproportionately high. Um, and what we need to be aware of is sometimes that we all come into the world, we all learn things. We, um, so we're not aware that racism is there, but it's actually a learned behavior. And it is learned because somebody tells us something and we start to believe it. And it's about how we actually manage our thinking around when we're actually leading people and actually supporting them in structural, you know, in structures and different organizations. So I think, um, Actually, having a bit more self-awareness is very important when we're working together as a team. We're all guided as nurses, midwives, healthcare professionals under um, professional codes um, mm -hmm. that actually are in line with the Equalities Act, with the Human Rights Act. Mm -hmm. And so if we need to think along the lines that sometimes we do have these biases, we need to be aware of them and actually make sure they don't manifest into what we do when we're yeah. working with supporting people. I think the yes. other thing you have to think about is that dreadful Seawell report that came out and basically said racism isn't a thing and that actually in the UK we are the standard by which everybody else should be measured, you know, and to be honest, if you look at that, what that all that says is, is that the experiences of your, your black, your brown, um, any of your um, other, I'm going to say other ethnic majorities, because we're not minorities, we're majorities. Mm. Um, any of us, um, according to them, if we say that something happens, then um, we're not believed. And mm. it was the same thing a couple of times where we got knockbacks from journals. They were like, well, no, this is not a thing. Hair is not a thing. There's, there's, there's rules and regulations. And I'm like, hmm, there's rules and regulations that say that racism is illegal, but it still happens. So mm. by saying that it's not a thing, because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean that it's not real. And that kind of, it kind of rubbishes like your whole experience, your whole 
your whole being. And, and that takes us straight back to what Sheila was saying when we first started looking into things like what Geronimus was saying um, about, you know, ethnic disparities that are happening out there. Because mm. if there isn't racism, then all of that, which we've researched, mm. isn't actually happening, according to that report. Mm. So. I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it tonight because, you know, I'm lucky enough to be working with you guys in, and we hear everybody, don't we? But there are different parts of the country that have much less opportunity to mix and, and, and contact other people and to, to hang out and see what, what everybody's different experiences are like. And there's something around the, the writing of a policy which feels like an, um, a technical thing but actually the language that's used and the way it's implemented is extremely personal, has extremely real world um, events. And if nurses, you know, who are fingers crossed, ethical, practical, sensible, um, and have this kind of conduct aren't involved in, in writing policies, which can feel boring, like I'll hold my hands up, it can. <laughs> if they're not involved in that, then someone else just writes it, someone else who doesn't know. So there's something I think about making sure that we are all involved in the governance structures that affect us all. Because if you're saying tidy hair, and you don't mean off your collar, you mean straight white hair, white people hair, then that's a problem. That, that's, that's, that's not care, and it's not an appropriate use of, of a policy. So that, I think you're absolutely right to mention that stuff. Before we go forward, though, I can see that some questions have come in. So I'm going to come to Dave, who looks shocked now, of being asked to comment on hair, awkward silence. <laughs> Is there anything that is coming through on questions, Dave? I just knew you were going to bring that up at some point, Nikki. Uh, did you feel like I'm really underqualified to talk about this subject? I've never known uh, you to right. be underqualified to talk about anything. <laughs> uh, so we've had a couple... Oh, do you think? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, right, so we, we've had a couple from Alfonso, uh, and uh, he's said, how can we make sure that we educate clinicians and senior managers about hair racism? Uh, and what can uh, we do, or you do, as lecturers to make sure that our nurses and students do not go through these experiences? How can we support? Um, if you are, answer the first one, I'll do the second one, Georgie. <laughs> What was the first one? <laughs> so how can we make sure that we educate clinicians and senior managers about hair racism? I think we have to start at the beginning, which is there was a time where we didn't accept um, hijabs, we didn't accept tattoos. Um, all of that was like out with whatever our uniform policy and, and code was. And we've made adaptations for that and accepted that that is part of culturally who people are. So again, you just need to realise that actually it's attached to, to people's heads um, and trying to make policies where they may seem like a good idea, if you're doing it by yourself without other people being brought in. So other black, um, Asian, other ethnic minorities, if you've not got any of those on your panel, then you need to seriously start thinking, is this actually a good idea what you're doing? You might not deliberately mean to be coming off as being racist, but if your policies that you're creating without input um, of people that are on the shop floor, then there's something wrong. I think that's the first thing. And I also think within schools of um, nursing, in our faculties of nursing, we need to start teaching, not just about hair, because I'm sure if I said to you, how would you, how would you look after a black, a black child's hair, a black child's skin? If you talk about, you know, creaming, washing regimes, moisturizing of hair, plaiting of hair, um, 
you probably would be at a loss. But if we start to bring things like that into the curriculum where people are taught at grassroots level, then you start to grow a generation which is quite used to being um, diverse and properly um, multiculturally competent. Yeah. Sheila? Yeah, so the next question, David, was about students, how we can support them. Yes. Okay, so what, what we have been doing is we've been running um, what we call Woke and Spoke for all students on the programme. Um, we know that our university is very diverse, ethnically so, and also culturally and linguistically diverse. So that means that our students come from right across the world um, to come and study with us. And that's also typical of a lot of universities, um, but we're unique because we create an environmental space of psychological safety. So what we're trying to do is change the culture within um, to provide a cultural safety for our students to speak out in safe psychological spaces about their experiences, not just of hair racism, but of microaggressions, um, discrimination, racism, coping, actually wanting to cope um, in practice and also on their studies in the classroom sometimes. And that has been necessary because although we do have wonderful resources at universities. Um, the issues are that we cannot connect with students unless they can identify with us. And they seem to identify very well with lecturers who look like them, but also lecturers who are sort of what we call viz and I, woke. Um, so um, when we say woke, we mean that aware of the social injustices, you know, in our society. Um, that are affecting them. So they tend to connect with people um, like that. Um, and I think we have to start making steps to develop that cultural um, congruence uh, with students because that helps to support them better. They feel yeah. they can cope, they feel motivated. They also feel empowered to deal with certain situations. So that's that's what we're doing at the moment. And that's it's our not and it's, it's, it's not just black students, it's students from all over. So you wouldn't think how much um, students perhaps who are from Ireland, but who are studying in, in other of our campuses. And they really are identifying with some of the issues that we have coming up that we talk about in our Empowerment to Greatness series that we have. Yeah, that's true, you know, because actually um, we... Um, for us even, it's quite, quite interesting that the work we've done has actually lifted layers of experiences among our students and how they are very similar experiences mm. and very broad as well, you know, mm. and there's a variety of these and they all have something in common with each other. And that's mm. how we can sort of build this inclusive uh, environment for them to work and learn and study together and uh, uh, you know and do teamwork and lots of other things mm -hmm. in practice there's loads more comments coming in so we'll go back to cool. dave but you're absolutely right you know if students need to, to be able to understand these issues as they impact them but also how how do you advocate for anybody if you don't know about these issues and you can't support yourselves or your colleagues so it's really important for people to get a handle on this so let's come to dave there's a few more i can yeah, yeah, we've had a few more comments and uh, Mushtag, again, you know, she's joined in a, over a few weeks. It's uh, got some really good points to raise. Uh, policing people's hair, especially if it is part of cultures, is racism, but also lack of psychological safety. 
the lack of black, Asian and ethnic minority staff in senior management and leadership who can role model and showcase their beautiful hair is part of a wider issue. And then a bit later on, she makes the other point of should hair racism be part of transcultural nursing taught mandatory nurse education and trust inductions? Should NHS England be speaking out, advocating and give guidance to NHS trusts? Uh, and I think that fits in quite nicely with one of the things I was thinking about this and and also Clenzo, my boss, the head of health at Unite, uh, he's kind of put a comment on saying about fans, uh, fascinating to watch tonight's episode uh, with great guests and reminding people if they've not watched it live, they can always catch up after. So he's certainly listened to my constant reminder of that. Uh, but just to say about, you know, the, the kind of impact that we would hope trade union uh trade unions can play in this as well. Uh, and obviously, I think one of the points for me that's, that kind of fits in with what Mushtag was saying is this bit about, you know, if, if it's just left to white male trade unionists to talk about the issues that are affecting staff, then I doubt hair racism will be an issue that will be discussed often. Uh, so it's really important, isn't it, that we, you know, ensure that lots of different voices, lots of different people get involved in, you know, the trade union side of things in, in organisations and raise these concerns and issues on, on behalf of members and kind of say that, you know, we need to do much better than, than we are at the moment. Uh, and, and that bit about, you know, trust inductions and, and kind of realising that, you know, for some people, this is a huge issue and, and, and we shouldn't sort of dismiss it as, as, you know, just a woke kind of, you know, thing that we don't need to worry about because, it, you know, it is, it is really important isn't it there's probably other things that i've missed nikki so i don't know if you've picked up any of them uh, or if you've got any more questions yeah i've got some come through on whatsapp um this is a first year student my mentor asked to touch my hair and then touched it without asking like without getting my consent oh, what should i say that's a no-no that's definitely a no-no <laughs> why not have okay. to go around touching your colleagues like weird <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So, so what can she say? Because like, it's like, can I touch it? And then touching it before you've even been told, no, of course you can't touch me. What, why would you do that? So what I do you do now? I think if they're touching it, you've got to tell them, I'm sorry, but that's inappropriate. It's the same way you wouldn't just walk up, see a pregnant woman and just touch her bum. It's not the done thing. You don't just walk up to somebody, can I touch mm. it here and touch it? I mm. mean, I've had a colleague, we went away on holiday together for a wedding and, um, she just came up to me and she grabbed my hair and she yanked it. <laughs> and my response was instant. I turned around and yanked her hair back and she went, ow, it hurt. And I went, yeah, so did it when it touched to me. And then, do you know, her comment was, it's real. And I was like, um, yes, it's attached to my scalp. It's mine. Um, the same way that it's yours and it's attached to scalp so I really don't know what's going on in people's heads if somebody came up and just started I don't know Nikki running and caressing their hands through your hair you know you'd be looking at them like somebody call the police um you, I think you, you just have to be brave enough to turn around and say to them look it's not appropriate to put your hands in my head and that is something culturally that you're brought up from a very young age that you don't do I'm not a dolly so please don't touch my hair. It's actually inappropriate. And, you know, should you do it again, I will be taking it further. And, and that's the type of, of language. Unless we start using that and saying that, it will yeah. continue. Yeah. Yeah. I've um, seen it happen in university settings. It's not something that just happens, like, randomly. 
And the person handled it so brilliantly. It was probably like, don't do that. And I was like, oh, what do you Because I was thinking, should I, should I say something? But before I had another chance, it was more like, hmm, maybe maybe don't hit the person, but I can understand why you're so cross about it. I think one of our colleagues that I went away with, um, you know, Mariama, don't you? We were um, in, a, in a foreign country um, with um, Miss Hines and her beautiful locks were out and they were on display. And a black man actually walked up and tried to grab her hair um, with the locks. And Mariama was like a shot out of the cannon. She just stamped her foot and just said, you do not touch her hair. You of mm. all people should know better. And mm. he was just like so stunned. It was just so nice and so beautiful. I mean, poor Marion didn't even know what was about to happen to her. But unless people actually intercede and say, actually, no, mm. bad show, not acceptable, mm. don't do it, people won't mm. stop. Mm. And you do have God, to be quite specific about, about it. it. George, before tonight's episode, one of the things that I did wonder was sort of how much sort of gender comes into this. And, and I was interested to hear that kind of the first example that you gave of a student was a male student. But, you know, do you kind of feel like hair racism affects one gender more than another? I, it doesn't seem to. I think it's both, isn't it? It's, there's no sort of difference, really. No. No. I think the locks fascinate people. So whether you're female or male, it, it generates talk. Um, but then when people see the, the Afros, and I, possibly women might get it more than men. I don't know. I haven't researched into that fact. Um, mm. Possibly because, uh, what was it, Vidal Sassoon said black women have one of the most diverse hairs. So therefore, you know, it could be plaques today. It could be an Afro tomorrow. Um, mm. If it's locks, you're going to have to watch it growing and going through all the transitions from itty baby bantu knots to longer sort of frizzy locks to tresses that are likely. It takes time. It does mm. take time. Um, and of course, if you're used to seeing a woman who changes her hair all the time, uh, people do find it fascinating. Um, I don't I, know why. I also, David, you know what you were saying earlier on about... Um, actually how we can build that sort of representation understanding in the workplace and organizations and mm. you know if you look at Georgie she's never never changed her style of hair because she wants students to see her the way she rep you know she's represented mm. students need to be able to see people like themselves you know actually teaching them and for example so Professor Les Henry wonderful locks Professor Marcia Wilson and one of the things yeah. that um, Marcia actually said recently um, when we did our recent Empowerment to Greatness uh, uh, among the discussion is that her her father was trying to encourage her to change her hairstyle so that she would fit in mm. and what we've got to remember is that if you don't feel like you fit in and you can't be your authentic self you shouldn't be there in the first place okay so you've got to be your authentic self Mm. And also because students need to look up and be able to see that there's a professor, there's a lecturer who looks like me. Okay, so um, that's why it's so important. And also not just for st some, a student who needs somebody who looks like them, but for those students who need to understand what someone who looks different is about mm. and what they are about and what the mm. issues they're having are. So it's about having that representation, but also having that diversity and also that inclusive process as well. Mm. As an opera to be doing an education. Mm. We're not even showing it's what about the flowing looks like on black exactly. skin. 
Oh, I can show you if you want. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I mean, we should be. This should be. This should be obvious. And, and when you open a book, you should be able to see this is what a rash looks like. This is what skin skin hurt looks like on all different skins because you're going to see all different skins. So we do have a way to go. We're getting there. First, the first books came out probably only a couple of years ago that actually were making a virtue of doing that. Yeah, there's a, there's a, 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 see, a fourth year med student who's just yeah. done the compendium where he shows the different yeah. graduations, he shows the mm. keloids and the scarring, mm. he showed, mm. I think one was really interested where he showed Kawasaki's disease on a black child and then Kawasaki's disease on a white child. On the right child, very obvious to see, it's red, it's angry, it's raised, it's all over. Whereas on the black child skin, you had to really sit and watch it, but you could see actually, yes, it is raised. Um, I can see the redness of the blood vessels coming through, but because of the, the melanin in our skin yeah. can be so yeah. strong, it's very difficult to differentiate. I mean, I don't know, Nikki, I think, do you, you ever remember talking about blanching erythema, that you press the skin and the capillary yeah. reef and all of that, yeah. and it goes yeah. white? It's... Mind so the gap. Brown skin, that's what it's called, mind the gap. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we tweet it out. We've been retweeting your articles as well, so we'll do that as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, Dave, is there anything we need to, because we're going to be coming to the end very shortly, that is whizzed by, um, is there anything that you wanted to, to bring up or that people are still commenting on? I think look out for our next article that's coming out. Um, mm -hmm. Quite soon, we'll be giving people more tips on how to, to, to manage situations about not being the angry black person, but about being assertive, how to manage it, and actually about using those same rules and regulations and your protective characteristics to let them know that it's not acceptable. So we'll, that'll be coming out soon. And um, I think we've got another one on the roll that we're writing at present about our woke and spoke just so that people can see the type of things they can do to help support their students out in practice. It doesn't take a lot, just a, a few hours every other week, we do hours. Um, mm -hmm. And the students seem to like it. And to get mm -hmm. all levels and all fields in across the board, it, it, it takes a little while, but once it settles in, it really does take off. And we've never had less than 50 students in the room at any particular evening, which is mm -hmm. really good. Mm -hmm. Or afternoon, when we've had it. Absolutely. Dave, is there any more questions that we need to come to? Well, uh, I've been a bit distracted doing some tweeting, Nikki. So I'll need to read them that. myself then. We'll Go on, one then. Job. Okay. We <laughs> 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 do two jobs. <laughs> For me, there's a huge change. Uh, diversity um, in its purest is shaking and challenging the status quo. So keep up the good work. And um, uh, Shereen Gales, one of our students, has said that's so inappropriate. So hopefully she's not talking about us. She's talking about people touching hair. <laughs> that one, I think. Hello, Theo. <laughs> that, that's the other one. That's well. That's the other one. Ah. Yeah. So before we finish up, so Sheila, is there anything that you wanted to just say, say you know, as we start to finish up? Um, well, I just want to say that feel empowered by your identity. Feel um, that you can be your authentic self of course if you're a nursing student you have to follow the rules but make sure that you are your authentic self when it comes to being challenged with experiences like this and be professional most of all and if you're somebody who's working as a nurse as a registered nurse be proud of that identity 
step into mm -hmm. it, own it, mm -hmm. live it, experience it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything for me, Georgie, that you wanted to add just to finish up? I'm just going to say what I said before. It's mm. not what's on my head, it's what's in my head that you need to, to think about. Maybe you have to worry about. I'll have to come and talk to you about that later, Nikki. <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much. So Shereen Gale has commented as well, and Anne Simon and Adrian as well. Um, and one thing I would say is if you are a white person who doesn't know anything about black hair, find out and not by pinholing your nearest black colleague and asking them to explain it to you. There is a whole thing called Google. <laughs> there are films about black hair. There are films about, or there's educational resources on how to care for skin that's not like yours or hair that's not like yours. So get off your bottom and do your job. <laughs> much, as I, much as I love you, my people, this is um, something that you need to fix. Not everyone else's problem. So please do, um, if, you, if you are a nursing student who cares about um, trying to make sure that people have the best experience under your care, make sure you know what you And if you don't know, find out, just like you do with everything else. It's not it's not the end of the world not to know, but it is a problem and it is a contravention of your code of conduct. Not so, you know, you do, do that work. And if you are struggling or you don't know how to do it, let us know. And if any of the things that we've talked about are things that affect you, then you know that you can contact us. You've got contact details all over the show from, um, from the Twitter and the, the Facebook. Um, and if you come to any of us, we'll, we'll try and help you. We'll find someone who can if, we, if we're not in the position to do that. So thank you very much, everyone, for watching tonight. Um, it might not have been completely what you were expecting. Um, it's a little bit different to some of the things that we've covered previously, but it's really, really important that you know how to give care and to be proud of who you are and to, to be, yeah, supportive to your colleagues. So thank you very much, everybody. And good night. Good night all. Bye bye. Good night.